Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you pick the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to my friends listening elsewhere across the country and the world. I see we had listeners last week in Belgium and Germany. So hello to the Houdats serving our country on this Columbus Day. We salute you. It's a little bit brighter of a Monday than it was last week, isn't it? Welcome to Datitude episode number eight. For a Monday, October 11th, 2021, I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the New Orleans Advocate, the Times-Picayune, and bet.nola.com. Just a quick note, we're going to move the weekly schedule to Monday afternoons, and I'm not sure if we're going to do it Wednesday afternoons or Thursday mornings in the near future, but we're going to have a little change in schedule throughout the football season. That's what we're going to do for now. We'll see how it goes. Uh, You can follow us easily on all your favorite platforms on Apple, on Google Play, on Spotify, all the places you find your podcast. SoundCloud is where we upload everything. Probably the easiest place to find us, but you can find us anywhere. Just search for Datitude where you find your podcast. Today, we are going to have some, uh, I think we have some two really good guests on uh, coming up in the show. We also going to have the good, the not so good, and the absolute hideous, okay? And you might think the hideous is LSU, but it's really not. I mean, there was something worse this week than LSU. For the good, we're going to have our own Luke Johnson of the Advocate in the Times-Picayune on in about oh, five or ten minutes. Later for the not so good, we're going to talk to Chris Blair, the voice of the LSU Tigers, get his take on the state of the purple and gold, which we know is in tough shape. I'll get to that in a little bit. And for the hideous, oh, just absolutely brutal, we'll talk about my NFL picks for week five and go over a few things I saw yesterday around the league worth mentioning, including, um, I'm going to be nice and say, oh, some dumb things that I saw on Sunday around the NFL, especially in that late window. But, you know, I couldn't have been more wrong yesterday, except when it came to the Saints. We'll get to my thinking of the pregame in a little bit when we when I talk about the picks because it was one of the few things that I got right so I do want to talk about that in the uh, review and the picks but uh, I have to say I don't feel much different about this team today than I did on Sunday or before the game I mean of course who have two weeks to revel in a victory and you should enjoy every win you can get you never know when the next one's going to come even for a New Orleans Saints team that has won over 50 games the last three years combined, three and a half years combined. But do we really feel like everything is okay because they beat the mediocre Washington football team? I mean, really? I mean, I will get into it, and I'm not going to be Derry Downer. So, I mean, look, I thought they would win this game, and they did. Um, but I'll get to it with Luke in a few minutes. But I thought after maybe the worst coaching effort in the Sean Payton era against the, the Giants... They did an outstanding job on Sunday. I thought it was the best coaching performance of the season. They had a great game plan. They, had, they were great in finding ways around ha- having Alvin Kamara rush. Uh, he rushed 10 fewer times than he did last week. They limited his touches so he can refresh during the bye week. 16 carries 
for 71 yards and a touchdown, as well as five catches for 51 yards and another score. The defense, I thought, was good. Not great. Um, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but coming down the stretch, um, I wanted us to do everything we could. Look, Jameis did a, a really good job that last drive where, where we scored the touchdown um, and take a two-score lead was key. Um, because I did not, as well as they had played up to that point, I did not have a, a ton of confidence that they were going to be able to stop Washington if they really had to on a game-winning drive, basically. Um, I think they would have, but I wasn't 100% confident. So the defense was good, not great. What, they, what Dennis Allen and the company did was be, what they were best at, I thought was keying on Taylor Heineke and making him uncom- uncomfortable. Uh, they took away Terry McLaurin really as best they could. They limited him to four catches for 46 yards. Heineke was 20 of 41 for 248 yards with two interceptions, and they sacked him twice. Uh, their great running back, Antonio Gibson, he carried it for 20 times for just 60 yards. He did have two touchdowns, but I thought they did a great job in game planning against the run. So the game plan was to stop the run as best they could. They did a good job there and take away Terry McLaurin. So if Taylor Heineke was going to beat him. He was going to beat him with other uh, receivers. And I thought they obviously looked for Humphreys for a big play. They got a couple of those. But nothing that changed the game. But let's be honest. I mean, if the Saints don't get that Hail Mary at the end of the first half to Callaway, this really could have been a different outcome. I mean, really different. You know, it could have been a tied game at the half and Washington gets the ball first and in the second half, and the momentum had clearly changed to the Saints, and Washington goes deflated in the locker room. If that doesn't happen, who knows how they come out in the second half. I'm not saying the Saints would have lost had they not got that play, but I think it would have been a very different ball game, and not just because, obviously, you go in with a seven-point lead instead of being tied. Well, that's seven points. Well, of course, it's going to be a different ball game, but I, I think that things might have really been different had they not got that play. So just as, as the Giants' loss could be the thorn in the side if they don't make the playoffs, I think the Saints can point squarely at the fourth quarter last week if that happens. If they do squeak in, it could be the Hail Mary that, that turned everything around. Because let's be honest. I mean, of course, three and two gives you a chance. Two and three doesn't. We talked about this last week. I'm not going to rehash everything I said. Three and two gives you a chance. But you still got a, a really tough schedule. Um, but they look brighter. I mean, not just because you feel better, but when's the yo-yo going to end, right? I mean, they do, they do go in three and two, but, and they go to Seattle. I mean, you got to be happier in the fact that they get a big break Things look so much different than they looked last week. They get a huge break because Seattle in week seven will be missing some key members. Uh, number one, Russell Wilson will be out. He fractured his thumb. He had uh, surgery. Uh, not his thumb. I'm thinking of Drew Brees. He, uh, his, his, his either middle finger or his ring finger. Um, it looked a lot like the Drew Brees injury. And so he is out uh, for the game against the Saints and. Um, Geno Smith 
does not necessarily scare me. That's not to say that the Saints can't go to Seattle and lose because they can, but I think now they might even be a favorite going to Seattle. It's going to be close. It's either to be Pickham or it's going to be really close. I don't think it's going to be – the spread will be within two points one way or the other, and I can't wait to see what that spread's going to be. If they get that one and go to four and two, come home to face Tampa Bay on a Halloween in a tricked-up dome, don't pardon the pun. It's meant to be. It could be interesting. Uh, Jameis Winston, I think, continued his progression. He still did some things that make me nervous, um, obviously. Uh, we'll talk to Luke in just a moment. But I, I do want to expand on what I think about Jameis. And, uh, again, he showed his big play capability, the big play to Deontay Harris, and we don't know how long Deontay Harris is going to be out. Luke suspects that he won't be back when we, we come back from the bye week. So that'll be a big hit if, if that's the case. But he's got to keep progressing. I, what I saw yesterday, too, was the first time I think that Sean Payton was clearly, obviously frustrated with some of the decisions that Jameis made. You can't take some of those sacks that he takes. You've got to be able to throw the ball away. He's hesitant to throw the ball away, but still sometimes try to force things. So... Th- I think that's going to, I really think that's going to get better. I'm having hope as if you're looking through black and gold lenses, black and gold rose colored glasses, you have to hope that gets better. I have seen progression, but it was interesting that Sean Payton was outwardly critical of Jameis on the field, not necessarily in his press conference. He's not going to do that. Um, But he wasn't, he wasn't worried about showing to the, Fox, uh, sorry, the CBS audience. He didn't care on the sidelines. That, he, he did more yelling at Jameis Winston during a game on the sideline than I think he had done in the previous four, ba- four games combined. At least that's what I saw. But we'll th- let's see what Luke Johnson thinks. Luke, beat writer for the Advocate in the Times-Picayune, obviously has a closer take than any of us do. Um, and I know when you're covering the, the team on a daily basis, I have done that in the past, um, you do see things ins and outs. You do see you are clo- you're in that locker room a lot after the, not so much now. But you're, you're closer to these players, and you do get more of a sense of what's going on. So let's think. Let's see what he thinks. Welcome to the Datitude Podcast. Luke Johnson, Saints beat writer for The Advocate in the Times-Picayune. Uh, Luke, a uh, little bit more fun Sunday to write about than last week. Yeah, a little bit, man. Uh, we, I was actually talking with, uh, with my colleague, Rod Walker, up in the press box. Um, and uh, before the game started, he's like, man, I hope we have a little bit more to write about this week that's actually, like, uh, you know, good to write about. Last week was kind of just uh, – it was a killer game for a lot of reasons, but, it, it you know, it was hard on us, too. Like, we had, we had like, a, a hard time figuring out, uh, like, some decent storylines to go after. So uh, a little bit more fun this week. You know, it's always more fun for people to read, too. But, you know, I think I'm convinced that people people read more and want to be more involved when they stink. I mean, they're on their own high when, when they're good. It's just, you know, they, they run around and, oh, we won, you know, talking about it with coworkers. When they stink, they want to, you know, they want to complain about it and, and see what, it, what, what everybody else thinks about it, too. Yeah, probably a little bit of that. What's the, what's the word for that? Uh, it's it's uh, masochism. I think. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think you're 100% spot on. Let's talk about the game yesterday and what a mixed bag we had. 
Okay. I mean, and Jameis Winston, and I hate to keep talking about Jameis Winston, but look, it's game five. We've got a new quarterback for the first time in 15 years. That's what people are talking about. But uh, you go back and he was kind of encapsulated with, to me, what the entire game was yesterday and really what the entire season was. At times, I thought he looked brilliant. Uh, at times, he looked, you know, did things that Drew Brees couldn't do. And then at times, you're like, no. And he, he actually, in one play, with the play to Mark West Callaway to, to end the first half, I'm thinking, okay, the Saints are just going to try to get 10 yards and, and you know, send Cody Parkey out there and see what he can do and maybe try to get a field goal. And then he lets loose, and I'm yelling, no. And then every Saints fan in the world is yelling, yes. And so uh, it kind, kind of was that kind of game for him yesterday. Yeah, I thought so. Um, yeah, he can do, obviously, some really – great things. Um, you had that Hail Mary that threw to Callaway. You know, I just, I just looked this up. Uh, that was the longest completed pass by air yards in the NFL yesterday. It's like 57.2 yards. I didn't know and that. That's, that's, that's the third time. Uh, it's a third time this season. He's connected almost 57 or more yards. And uh, I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty positive that uh, I don't think Drew Brees did that ever uh, in the uh, Statcast era since they've been tracking this thing? So since like 2015. So I mean, not recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He has an element to the Saints' offense that they just didn't have, right? But then again, Drew Brees added a ton of elements that are not there right now. And I, you know, I think Drew pointed that out when he was kind of diagnosing what was going on with the Saints' offense uh, in his uh, Sunday Night Football uh, studio work. And he was saying they're just kind of lacking some of the, the the efficient throws that they had with him in the last couple of years. And, you know, I think some of that will come with time. But at the same time, yeah, I don't think – I think it would be unreasonable to expect Jameis Winston to to suddenly be the type of quarterback Drew Brees is. Um, you know, yesterday I think was a pretty good example of, of you know, what he is when he's close to his best. Um, he's slinging the ball downfield. He's making some throws that you're just like, man, you know. <laughs> We really want you to make that throw. We we want you to get it out quick and and to, to hit guys in stride and, and get this efficient offense going. Um, but you know, again, he does just add an element that you just didn't have before. And uh, you know, I think that the Saints' offense is just going to kind of have to evolve around that, and rather rather than try to ask James to be Drew Brees, uh, that's a really really tall task. Luke Johnson here on the Datitude Podcast. Um, Luke, I think what you said about Drew, I actually found it interesting, his comments. I found the way he was very diplomatic, the way he said it, it sounded to me like, and again, that's for us to, to speculate on whether what he really thinks, because he's never going to tell us what he really thinks. But I found it interesting the way that he said it, the way he said it, um, as if almost, yeah, I think Jameis has a little bit more work to do. <laughs> yeah. He's very diplomatic. Like I think Drew could be a politician if he wants to, but uh, he's probably uh, he'd be absolutely crazy to do that and give up a, a six-figure contract at NBC to do that. Uh, but you know, I, I think Drew is was letting everybody know what he thinks without really really saying it. Right. Um, you know, and but it's got to be hard for him to watch it, right? Because he he operated this thing for 15 years his way, and he knows how it's supposed to look with him up run, running under center. Um, so he's, you know, his, his expectations are probably a little bit different than everybody else's are. Right. I, I think everybody else, we saw it in week one when, uh, when Jameis hit that bond at Deontay Harris in week one, he's like, that's the element the Saints were missing. Right. And, and, you know, four weeks have happened since then. He's like, Oh, you know, there's, there's not so much of that Drew Brees offense in there anymore. You know, I, I kind of want to kind of want to just like let everybody know I'm seeing that. 
Um, Wouldn't you love to just watch a game with Drew with no camera or recorder on, just watch one Saints game with him and – because you know he wouldn't be able to like not say what he really thinks at oh, some yeah. point in three and a half hours. Yeah, and I would absolutely just get a, a clinic and how little I know about football. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no doubt. Well, you you know you're talking about it. Like I know what I'm talking about. And I spent five minutes with Drew Brees. I'm like, oh, I'm I'm an idiot actually. <laughs> right, exactly. You and me both. Um, talk about just yesterday though. I thought the game plan was much better. Obviously, uh, you know, I'd said it last week. I thought that the game against the Giants. I thought in a rare case that the coaching was, was bad. Let's just put it that way. It was bad. They, the Sean Payton and Dennis Allen, I thought just overall, I know some different things happened and it probably changed the way uh, that they might've saw the game in their minds, but they had a bad game. And I thought this week they had a really good game plan for what they were going up against because Taylor Heineke to me is, is an underrated quarterback who can move around and do a lot of things. And they really kind of kept him in check and forced him to do a lot of things that they didn't want to, that he didn't want to do. Yeah, um, I absolutely agree with that. You know, there was a few like schoolyard plays that Heineke had where where he's he's evading pressure and he's getting out and running around. Um, but I, I think they did a really good job of keeping them in check. I, yeah, I, I don't know the the numbers off the top of my head, but I think they they really did a great job limiting explosives, which I think is you know, when you're playing a, that type of quarterback. Um, that's kind of what you're worried about, right? Is he's he's extending plays, he's running back there for five, six seconds, and and you know, it's it's really really hard to cover NFL receivers for that long. So you know, I think uh, just kind of top to bottom, the the coaching staff did a, a really great job this week compared to last week. Um, you, know, you you inject Sean Payton with some truth here, I mean, you probably hear that that last week's game against the Giants was probably one of his worst managed games as a coach in a long time. Um, and, and I think they, they had those guys ready to play this week. Um, you know, even Sean Payton, I think the offensive game plan was really good. Um, you know, you lose two key parts of that early and you're still able to adjust and, and, and move the ball. You know, he was talking about how Washington was playing with this five man defensive front yesterday. And, uh, you know, that, that, they were kind of anticipating that and then them going heavy to take Alvin Camaro away. So they went really pass heavy. It was the first time I've seen him do that all season. And, you know, sure enough, I'm looking it up on uh, next gen stats this morning and Alvin Camaro is going up against a eight man box, 62% of its carries, you know, so I think they were just really smart about how they wanted to attack those guys offensively and defensively. And it, it worked out in their favor in a double digit win. Also, Luke, I think that Alvin has been used so much in the first four games that going into this bye week, you know, give him, I don't want to say give him a break because you can't give him a break, especially with the thing that the pieces that are missing, but you don't give him 26 carries is which, which is what they did against the giants. And I thought they were very effective in the way that they used Alvin um, and spread out his carries and didn't give him a lot of two touches in a row kind of things. And, and going again, going into the bye week to give him the rest, I would tell him, look, dude, get out of football for a week and, and go, do whatever you got to do and rest up and get ready for the second half. Well, it's not, you, know, yeah. you got the second two yeah. thirds, I guess. Ready, ready for, the, uh, for the long stretch. Like, exactly. Like, coming at a really good time, right? They're getting some guys healthy, but they've got a long way to go after this five weeks. So I think this is really important for guys to do that. Um, but, you know, with that, with Alvin's just uh, specifically, it looked like they, they use him like they use him from 17 to yes. 20. Um, yes. it, that was, that was kind of, that's kind of the Alvin Kamara we've kind of come to know and, and, and see and everything. And, you know, he had a chance yesterday to have a huge game if he would have held on to that wheel route that he dropped. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really good sign. If, if 
Jameis is able to to use Alvin as a weapon in the passing game, and and if they're not you know, having to slam him against the defense 25 times a game, um, I, I think that can you know you're not giving him the ball as much. He doesn't get as many doesn't get as many opportunities, but he does um, he does have a chance to impact the game in more explosive ways. I think. Um, and, you know, we saw that yesterday. It, I think he ended up having like 120, 130 yeah. yards from scrimmage. Yeah. It was like divvied up between run and pass. Uh, I thought he had a really good game. And I'm, I'm really interested to see if that's kind of the way they do it moving forward. Um, you know, it's funny how things change in just a week's time. You know, as bad as things looked last week, a two and two, going to face a, a Washington team that really was almost as desperate as the Saints. If you look at where that where the two teams are, both going in two and two going into a bye week and then facing the the fact of you're going to have to go to Seattle, you have to play Tampa Bay, you have to play Tennessee right after the break. Um, now things look, it's amazing what one win can do because not only do you go into the bye week and have a chance to get healthy, but you're going you're gonna to go to a Seattle team now that is almost surely going to, in fact, I'm all, I think it's 100% now, they'll be without Russell Wilson when they go play them. And Geno Smith doesn't scare me nearly as much as as does Russell Wilson and that defense isn't playing like Seattle defenses of old. And, uh, you know, so things are looking a lot better for this team. And besides the fact that the saints are going to be getting a lot of players back after the bye week They are, they are, but I will say that like this season has just taught me a, a, a giant lesson about just assuming anything. <laughs> yeah, I like sure. it. It's it, week to week. It's, it's like, you don't know which team you're going to get. And, uh, and I do think that like in the NFL, uh, Crazy things do happen, man. Like I'm not, I'm not just gonna assume they're gonna go into Seattle and just because Geno Smith is starting, they're gonna get a win, um, because it's just, it's crazy. I, I just need to see, I need to see this team string together a couple of really nice performances instead of having this up down up down yo yo act that they were having for the first four or five weeks of the season. You know, it, that's just been a consistent theme throughout. They, they were good in week one, bad in week two, good in week three, bad in week four, good in week five. So maybe. Maybe they're taking this, uh, you know, if they were playing this this Sunday, maybe they'd have a, a down week, but they get to use it up on the bye, so they'll have right. two straight good uh, yeah, weeks. They can be bad in the bye week. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Just as long as the, the bad is is limited to just like, you know, you were going out and you tried to get like a like an egg sandwich and they gave you a burrito instead. And you're like, man, it's not really what I wanted. And it's not, you know, guys getting in trouble or something like that. So. The only problem is, Luke, that they, they after Seattle, then they have to play Tampa Bay. So... If, if that's the yo-yo, I mean, do you really want to be bad against Tom Brady? Because if you're bad against Tom Brady, he can make you look really bad. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, I, you know, but like, I really like their, I, I like their chance. I think they match yeah, up well against. I do too. Them, I agree. I really do. Like, I, I think that, that you know, obviously that didn't work out in the playoffs last year, but um, I think defensively, uh, they're they're kind of put together to give that team problems, especially if they get somebody like Marcus Davenport back. Uh, David Onyemata, I think that'll be his first game back. Um, so I kind of like their chances going against Tampa, maybe that more than I would other teams going up against Tampa. Uh, but you know, that, that was last year and, and right. I'm kind of based a lot of that off of last year. Uh, but, uh, we'll see, I, this is going to be a really interesting stretch for this team, a really, really interesting stretch. Um, and you know, again, I, I think this buy is coming at absolutely the right time, even though they do have that long stretch afterwards, they could potentially get back, you know, Michael Thomas. Eric McCoy, Toronto Armstead, Marcus Davenport, Will Lutz. I mean, Will Lutz. God. Everybody's just like clamoring for Will Lutz right after the 
the just roller coaster ride they've been on with field goal kickers right now. Cody Parkey missing two extra points yesterday. Um, so they got a chance to get a lot of guys back um, and, and kind of get into a, like a rhythm maybe for the first time all season. And, and we'll see how good this team is. You know, this is going to be a, a really important stretch. Luke Johnson here on the Datitude podcast. Before I wrap it up and, and ask you the three big questions, um, I got to ask you, you touched on what I wanted to go into last, which was the injuries. And I know that the Saints are maybe as tight-lipped about injuries as any team in the NFL other than the New England Patriots. Um, and But what is your sense about a guy like Taysom Hill and obviously the concussion-like symptoms? Um, is that something that we could foresee? Do we think that Taysom could be back for Seattle? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, just Just considering it's – it, you don't see too many guys miss two weeks with a concussion. Um, so, you know, they'll be, they'll be safe with them. And, you know, I, I think from, from what I saw yesterday, Sean Payton wouldn't comment on it yesterday, but I, th- I think he went to a hospital to get checked out. Um, and then, uh, you know, he was back before the end of the game. I believe he flew back with the team. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's always, it's always really tough with these just because, you know, I don't think a brain injury is, is, is like a, you know, a soft tissue or soft tissue or, or joint injury or anything like that. It's, it's kind of every, every one is its own animal. So that said, um, you know, I would anticipate that probably he'd be ready to go next uh, for the Seattle game uh, with the, with the buy in the back pocket. And, um, you know, it kind of remains to be seen on some of these other guys, Deontay Harris, you know, hamstrings are tricky. He missed a, a couple of weeks. I, I think this is his third hamstring injury. Um, in his pro career and he's, he's missed a couple of weeks every time. So, you know, he's, he's a little bit more questionable, but a lot of these guys who've been on IR, I think have a really good chance of coming back uh, for the Seattle game. Will Lutz and Davenport, you think they'll both be back? I think Lutz probably um, Davenport. I'm a little less sure about because uh, we haven't even seen him doing like rehab work. Um, when we go to, to saints practices, usually it's a pretty good indicator where a guy is and how close he is to coming back. So um, yeah, he's, he's a little bit more of a wait and see for me. Uh, but I think, I think Eric McCoy has a chance. I think Will Lutz has a pretty good chance. Armstead. Armstead. He's, he's another one that's kind of, kind of up in the air. Yeah, we haven't really, I think the, the initial diagnosis, he's going to be at like two or three weeks with an elbow injury. So um, yeah, it's a probably, and he's, he's the type of guy who, you know, people like to give him, you know, knock him for his injury history, but um, he's always been the type of guy who comes back faster uh, than others. And, and, you know, he's, he's going to do whatever he can to be back out on the field. All right, let's roll. I know you got to get a, going and going towards a plane. So let's ask you the three big questions. Two of them are usually a little tough and the last one's usually in your wheelhouse. So the first one um, is this saints team, a playoff team. I guess of right now, I'm going to say yes, a wild card team. Um, for them to go three and two, and I know that this early stretch of the schedule hasn't been particularly challenging outside of the Green Bay game, I think. Um, but for them to be three and two at this point, with missing all the guys they've missed, bringing a new quarterback in the mix, you know, I think they have a really good chance of being ten and seven. 11 and six by the end of the year. And I think that puts them in, in the, the wild card hunt. Um, so as of right now, I'm going to say yes, but like, again, you know, this, this, this team is, has just been so inconsistent week to week uh, that that's, you know, I, my thoughts on that have kind of fluctuated throughout the first five weeks of the season. Question two is the same question I asked Doug Muto on last week. And um, 
I found his answer interesting. Will Jameis Winston be the starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints on week one of the 2022 season? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I told you it was going to be tough. Yeah, that's, that's a really hard one. Um, I mean, as of right now, I'm, I'm kind of leaning toward yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways this season can go. You know, and and uh, yeah, I think there's there's some things, uh, and you can see sometimes some frustration between between John and Jameis on the sidelines, um, and you know, for, for their parts, they've they've been saying all the right things about about you know where things are right now, and and you know, Sean said or Jameis says he trusts Sean and and he wants to be the kind of guy that Sean wants him to be, um, but you know, this is this is a really really big season for him, and you know, I, I think. Um, for for the Saints to commit to him long term, I think he's going to have to you know, show that he can hold up over the course of a 17 game season and not make the kind of plays that they don't want him to make. Right. Um, and he's he made a couple of those this year. He's he's made a couple of really frustrating plays where you're just like, why why are you doing that? Why um, is the game? Why? <laughs> it's why yeah. I said why like five times yesterday. Why? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think I think I'm leaning toward yes right now, but I, I think there's still a lot to prove. And, I agree. And that's it. That's a that's a really, a really really important position in nail. You have to be absolutely certain he can be your guy, especially when you're talking about committing to starting quarterback money. Yeah, they're not going to be able to pay him seven million dollars again, right? This is if if they sign him, it's going to have to be probably north of twenty, for <laughs> if sure. not more. Um, sure. Got to show he's worth that. Um, interestingly, I, I I think that we saw more frustration between well from Peyton to Winston. I think we saw more yesterday outwardly publicly than maybe we've seen in the first four weeks of the season combined. Um, so I, I found that interesting yesterday. Last question before I let you go, how far are the Milwaukee Brewers going to go in the major league baseball playoffs? Oh man, I'm, I'm really not feeling good after two games, of the DS here, um, you know, they scored like what two runs the entire yeah. series so far. Um, so, but you don't have to go against Charlie Morton or Max Fried today. So, <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, I really like Freddie Peralta's chances today. I think they can get one or two in Atlanta and then win, win uh, game five in Milwaukee. And, um, but, you know, and, and unless they get a little bit more out of their offense, as, as good as their pitching is, um, man, I, I just have a really hard time seeing them get out of the NLCS against either the, the Giants or the Dodgers. So, um, I mean, I'm going to go NLCS, and I think that's kind of the way I felt all season. You know, you just see those two wrecking crews out on the West Coast, and um, yeah, you have to. I think you have to have a complete, complete baseball team uh, to, to get there and, and get through that and get to the World Series. And right now, I'm just I don't have enough faith in their lineup. The good news is that your no matter what happens, your team was about 20 games better than my team this year, and uh, I feel like it's old times again for the Chicago Cubs. So. I have no, I don't have to sweat anything going forward. Luke, thanks for taking time out. I know you got to get out of that. They can't see your, your Milwaukee Brewers hat. Cause this is an audio only podcast. Otherwise I probably wouldn't be wearing this cup shirt that I'm wearing right now. Uh, but uh, Luke Johnson is a Milwaukee Brewers friend. Hence why I asked him. Thank you, buddy. And have safe travels coming back home. Appreciate it, Jim. Thanks for having me on, man. All right. Luke Johnson on the Datitude podcast. Thanks buddy. I appreciate it. I, we, we're ending just as my dog decides to go off in the background. So.
yeah. That happens all the time. It's, it's, this is like the most comfortable, uh, the most comfortable podcast I've ever done because my dogs aren't freaking out about something. Uh, I mean, it's it's crazy, you know. So, but anyway, well, thanks, buddy. God, be be careful coming home. We'll talk to you later. Sounds good. All right, bye-bye. later, Jim. So th- there you have it. I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of those points were were spot on. I think he feels a lot the way that I do. Um, I'm still not sold of this playoff team. I would have probably given their percentages somewhere in the ballpark of, I don't know, 30 40% before this game, and now maybe I'm at 50%. I mean, I truly think it's 50-50. Um, one thing I, I do like as far as the Saints' chances go is I think that I thought the NFC West was going to be this big juggernaut um, and now I'm not so sure. With, with Seattle's injuries, with Russell Wilson out, maybe only the Rams or the Cardinals, whoever won the division, the other one's going to be a wild card. So maybe there is one more wild card to be had. Um, I'm not sold that the 49ers can come back and, and make the playoffs with what they have. Um, I, th- I think the Saints are probably about even with the 49ers, somewhere around there. So it may be between them and the Saints, the 49ers and the Saints, when it comes down to the final playoff spot. I mean, it's only week five. It's hard to say. Maybe the Saints go on their usual run. Maybe the Saints end up com- – look, they put themselves in a position to where they can compete for the NFC South title. I'm, I'm not saying that is a, a given, that they won't win the NFC South. But like I said last week as well, for them to do that, they can't just beat Tampa Bay once. They're going to have to beat Tampa Bay twice because, like we said, the floor for this Tampa Bay team is 12 wins. That, to me, that is the absolute floor. And that's including if they lose to the Saints twice. So 12 and 5. I don't think they're, they're, Tampa Bay's going to lose. If, even if you say, okay, they'll lose to the Saints twice, they're not going to lose to more than two other teams the rest of the year. So the Saints have to beat Tampa Bay twice and finish 12 and 5. And to do that, I'm no mathematician rocket science, but I can figure out real quickly that that means 9-3 and three the rest of the way, and that's including beating Tampa Bay twice. So we'll see. We've got a little ways to go. Um, let's get through this bye week. We'll do some reassessing during the bye week, see who we think is coming back, um, and maybe we'll be able to figure it out. Before we get to Chris Blair, I do want to talk a little bit about – uh, and before we get to the hideous part of the show and my NFL picks, Say what, I do want to talk about the wild and wacky day in the NFL yesterday. Some outstanding games. Obviously, you had Cleveland and the Chargers tops the list. Uh, that's going to be in this boneheaded segment in just a minute. Um, you had Buffalo, a big surprise there. Not so much that they won, the fact that they just they destroyed Kansas City. There's no other way to put it. We'll get to that uh, when we talk about my NFL picks. Um and then there were the Eagles, surprisingly uh, a winner over Carolina. Not so much because they beat them, but the fact that they had to come back when uh, Jalen Hurts wasn't doing anything all day. And that defense kind of folded a little bit, and Sam Darnold looked awful. I mean, it, he just, it just goes to show. That guy can't play quarterback without Christian McCaffrey back there. I don't. If Christian McCaffrey's hurt, it's going to be a rough season for the Carolina Panthers the rest of the way. Then you had the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> Poor Detroit. 
you got to feel for Caldwell, don't you? I mean, the former Saints assistant. I mean, tears in his eyes after, you know, and twice in two weeks, they lose 19-17 on a 66-yard field goal. And I think, what was it, a 53-yard field goal by Minnesota yesterday? Which, coincidentally, coincidentally, 1917 was also the score that they lost to to the Saints when Tom Dempsey kicked what was then a game-winning uh, NFL record 63-yard field goal. So the Lions don't have a lot of luck there. The first team in the NFL history to lose two games in a season on a game-winning field goal with no time left that was 50 yards or more. And it's only week five. So who knows? Maybe they'll do it again. But you got to think things are going to turn around for them at some point. Pretty brutal. Let's get into the dumb moments of Sunday. I mean, there were, I saw more dumb coaching decisions, I think, yesterday than I've seen the previous four weeks, maybe combined. But there was a five minute stretch, which kind of makes my case in point, where they kind of all, I'm, I'm watching the Red Zone channel and I see a bunch of them at one time. And they're worth pointing out. So this little five-minute stretch, it might have been less than five minutes. The, the first one, and it, this isn't a coaching decision. This is just a boneheaded move. But Kadarius Tony for the Giants, what is up with that dude? He finally gets his chance to shine a little bit. And what does he do? He tries to punch a helmet. My, my favorite thing in the world, and I'm being completely facetious, is when a dude gets in a spat with somebody in an NFL on an NFL field and you try to punch him in the helmet. Do you know what kind of intelligence it takes to do that? I mean, I'm not the brightest guy in the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then Lord knows I've been in my I've had my moments. But I don't think I've ever tried to punch anyone's helmet. I mean, I'm dumb. But I ain't that dumb. Dude needs to chill. Then he gets tossed, besides. I mean, he had like, what, 84 catches for 962 yards? I don't know, but he had a lot. And then he punches a helmet. Brilliant. Same window, within just a few minutes of one another. Browns run the football on third and 10. Okay, they're up up 42 to 41. The poor uh, Chargers kicker missed his second extra point. What was up with the kickers yesterday, by the way? Missed extra points, field goals all over the place. It was not a good day for kickers yesterday. But the Browns are up 42-41 to with a little over three minutes to go in the game. They know they can't stop the Chargers because they haven't stopped them all day long. If the Chargers get the ball back, they're going to score. So do you play to not lose, which you're going to lose if you give them the ball back, with any reasonable amount of time? Or do you play to win the game, Herm Edwards? The Browns run the football. They get it like at their own 20 or whatever. And they run the ball three straight times when the Chargers got like nine guys in the box. They're not getting anything. Not only did they try some kind of weird runs, they just tried all the old up the middle or off right guard runs. Excuse me. So what is up with that? So guess what happens? 
And even on third and 10, you don't trust Baker Mayfield to at least try to get your first down. The Chargers still had a, for, a timeout left. So it's not like, okay, well, we're going to run 40 more seconds off the clock, which doesn't, which would be stupid anyway as well because there'd still be 2.20 left, and Justin Herbert has proven throughout the game that he doesn't need two minutes to score on this defense that's been atrocious on that particular day. I don't think the Browns' defense is atrocious, but they were yesterday. Okay? So even if they didn't have a timeout, which they did, it would be a dumb play. You've got to trust your quarterback. I mean, the dudes in, like, all these commercials and stuff. So, I mean, somebody thinks he's good. Whether we think he's good or not is another story. But you got to trust your quarterback, right? I mean, Sean Payton would never, like I said with Luke, Sean Payton would never do that. He would never run the ball three straight plays there when he knows he can't stop the other team. Bill Belichick wouldn't do that. if he knew, I mean, Bill Belichick always has great defenses. But I don't even think Bill Belichick would have run the ball three straight times there. Especially not in a 42 to 41 game. So what happens? The Chargers go right down the field and score. Of course, they don't. But then the Chargers are boneheaded because they don't take a knee and try to kick the field goal. They decide they hand off to Eckler, Austin Eckler, who, in his defense, he tried to not score. He did a great job of sliding when he gets the first down. He tries not to score on first down, doesn't. So what happens on second down? The Browns pull him into the end zone, which actually was. N- Anything but a boneheaded move. That was great. But the Chargers boneheaded on the other end. Luckily for the Chargers, the Browns have their chance, but Baker Mayfield doesn't lead them to the promised land. They don't score, and the Chargers win. All kinds of interesting moves. And then maybe the head scratcher of the day, and it probably went unnoticed by most people because ESPN didn't show it, no highlights show showed that if you don't have the Red Zone channel or you weren't watching the game, you would have never known this happened. Okay? So, this was my favorite of the day. And again, facetious when I say favorite. San Francisco is trailing 10-7. to Okay? They've played outstanding defense throughout the day against an undefeated Arizona Cardinals team. They have held Kyler Murray in check. It is fourth and four near midfield. I don't know exactly where. I didn't go look it up on the play-by-play. I just remember the play. Fourth and four near midfield. You're down 10-7 to seven with somewhere in the neighborhood of seven and a half minutes to go. And you have been able to do basically diddly-poo on offense. Uh, you've had some big plays here and there, but it's fourth and four. You're not going to get it. Arizona's been outstanding all day on defense. You've got all your timeouts in the seven and a half minutes left. Defense lights out. What do you do? 85% of you say punt the football. The other 15% of you are the ones that want you to go for it on fourth down. Every play, no matter when it is, um, ask Lane Kiffin how that works. Right after the dumb, and you might you probably didn't see this either, but they had a fourth and one earlier, uh, not too long before that, they have a direct snap. They Instead of Trey Lance, who can move around, they put Kyle Juszczyk, who's in motion, put him under center, and the Cardinals just load up and tee off and stop him from getting a yard. So you already had one turnover on downs. Now you go for it on fourth and four. Not that I'm bitter or anything because the Niners is one of my picks of the week. I had him on the money line and straight up, and I think they have a good chance to win the game or at least send it into overtime. 
if they stop Arizona in the next series because they'll probably have pretty good field position because you're talking about the Cardinals getting the ball at worst at their own 20, but more likely inside their own 20. I, I just don't get it. Boneheads. Bunch of boneheads. And again, I'm bitter. Yeah, I'm bitter. I had an awful week. You, let's talk about my NFL picks. <clears throat> Speaking of boneheaded weeks. Here's the hideous part of this show. Went 2-0 before the noon window opened. Rams on Thursday night. Falcons on Sunday morning. I'm on a high. It's 1130. I'm making my, my final picks of the day. My final bets for Barks Root Beer and stuff like that because we know gambling is betting on games is still legal in this state. So I'm going to go 16-0 this week, right, with my NFL picks. I'll be the talk of the NFL betting world. They will be talking about Jim Derry on shows across America. Um, No. The Saints end up being my only winner at noon after going 2-0 to start I go 2-10-1 the rest of the way, and I'm 4-10-1 going into tonight's game against uh, with the Monday night game, Baltimore and Indy. Uh, Those of you listening on Tuesday, I have no idea what happens, but I'm guessing Baltimore wins by seven or more because you guessed it, I picked Indy. And I have one or two of these weeks a year and usually make up for it, but they hurt, man. They hurt. Some of these weren't even close. I thought the Patriots would would roll and easily win by nine at Houston. They needed to win it in the end, and they win at the last second. I thought Miami would be able to limit Tampa somewhat and certainly thought they would be able to pass all over them. They did for a little while. But Tampa Brady, Tampa Bay Brady, had one of his best overall days ever. I mean, what would they do? Give that dude an extra shot of Geritol? I mean, I mean, seriously, how is that dude playing like that at that age? Lastly, we talked about it a little bit. I thought Kansas City, with their backs up against the wall and the fact they had the number of the Buffalo Bills, would win by a touchdown or more. I thought it would be an easy cover. If you're a Chiefs fan, you should seriously be concerned. I mean, not only does something look wrong with Mahomes, there is no focus and no sense of urgency for this team whatsoever. The ball slides through Tyreek Hill's hands. Tyreek Hill's hands on a... Screen pass for a pick six. Other passes dropped. They look, There was no focus. And look, all Saints fans remember what it was like to have Steve Spagnuolo as, as your defensive coordinator. They are awful on defense. I mean awful. How they get, how's it going to get any better? I mean, any decent quarterback the rest of the way and in the playoffs, and if somehow miraculously they make it to the AFC Championship game, whether they play... Justin Herbert or Josh Allen. Um, I mean, to me, those are the only two teams that are going to compete for the championship in the AFC, right? I mean, can you think of anybody else? Maybe. I mean, Cleveland's not good enough. Pittsburgh's not good enough. I mean, that Tennessee, I mean, even Ryan Tannehill would pass all over them. I mean, and I'm not giving up on my Tennessee Super Bowl pick yet, but they don't look very good either. That's a whole different story. But uh, you got to be really concerned if you're a Chiefs fan. But anyway, all those picks that I made this week, I thought were sure going to happen. They're going to have to make me rethink the way. And this is about the week when you start thinking you are what your record says you are. Right? 
I mean, you can't not believe in the Cardinals anymore. They're 5-0. And they beat some really good football teams. They've done it with offense, and yesterday they did it with defense. The Chargers, same thing. No longer can you suspect whether the Chargers are good enough. If you're 4-1, you deserve to be 4-1. Or maybe you got lucky. I don't think the Chargers got lucky in any way, shape, or form. They deserve to be 4-1. Justin Herbert has been outstanding. It's going to be a two-team race. Right right now, I'll say three or four. I mean, I can realistically think of three or four players. If you give me these three or four t- players, I will give you the field and give you four-to-one odds. It's either going to be Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, or Justin Herbert as the, as the NFL MVP. If you go give me those four guys right now, it's week five. In fact, I'll give you six to one odds. You can have the field. I got those four guys. A lot of you are laughing like, yeah, right, no way. But, I mean, that's where we are right now. So, I I think that the Chiefs are going to have a really hard time finding a way to get back in this thing unless they change something really quickly. Now they're without Clyde Edwards-Elaire, he... Messed up his MCL. They're lucky it's not worse than that. He's gone for three or four weeks. Um, and uh, they're, in tough, they're in tough shape. They were having trouble running the ball anyway. And now all the opposing, the game plan was written. You frustrate Tyreek Hill. If you got someone that can keep up with him, you play the cover two, and you just bang up on Travis Kelsey at the line and get him ticked off too. And there you are. There's your game plan. And Mahomes, I don't know where his head's at right now, but it's not in football because he looked bad last night. Well, you know, and and before we move on to LSU, I do want to say one more thing about the NFL. Um, It has become increasingly impossible to watch the talking heads. And I'm not just talking about ESPN, but I am in this case. But, you know, I'm watching this morning. Every week they're crowning somebody new. I mean, if every team along the way they said was going to win the NFL, the win the Super Bowl, actually won the Super Bowl, we'd have like 16 Super Bowl champions. These idiots that, that do these rankings on the NFL network, I mean, I, I go back to what I said a couple of weeks ago, how they had Green Bay, uh, after they lost to the Saints, they were like ranked 17th. After week one, you want to talk about overreactions. Anyone who thought Green Bay was an average team, even after they lost, every team has a bad game every year, except for the 16-0 and Patriots who had a bad game in the Super Bowl and the 16-0 and or 14-0, and I guess, Miami Dolphins who won their three games. Other than that, everyone has a bad game. The 85 Chicago Bears had a bad game on a Monday night against Miami. Every team, no matter how good they are, has a bad game. But we want to crown somebody new every week. This morning, there was actually talk. I'm not going to name the show because it doesn't matter. Because it, it could have been any show. Of whether Dallas is the best team in the NFC. Really? Now, look, I've been on as high on Dallas from day one this season. You go back and look at my, my over-under picks. I thought Dallas was one of the locks to have the to hit the over. Their over was nine before the season. I don't know what it is now. I'm not going to look at it because it's not worth betting. But I thought they were an absolute lock to win nine games. 
but they're going. They're the people. The the media is going gaga now. Jerry's jumping up and down in his suite. Everything is right with the world. Dallas is good again. You know what's going to happen? They'll go into the playoffs and lose like they always do. They're not going to beat Tampa Bay. They're not going to beat Green Bay. They might not beat the NFC West champion. I don't think they're as good as the Rams. And honestly, I think the Saints are going to give them a run for their money. And we all know what I think there. I think the Cowboys are probably the fourth best team in the NFC. But today, is Dallas the best team in the NFC? No! Last week was Green Bay the best team in the NFC. The week before that, it was the Rams. The week before that, it was the Bucks. Hey, the Bucks are going 16-0. They're going to easily win another Super Bowl. They might win another Super Bowl, but, I mean, you see where I'm going with this? It's the same thing in the AFC. Buffalo's good. Josh Allen is outstanding. Defense is well coached, makes plays. But, I mean, I personally think the Chargers are the best team in the AFC, maybe the NFL. I couldn't imagine saying that even three weeks ago. They play whatever way they need to. But guess what? It doesn't matter. Do we have nothing else to talk about that we have to, like, just this week this team is the best team in the NFC? This week this team is the best team in the AFC. You know what? The, the Chiefs win three or four games in a row. They'll be back on the Chiefs. Oh, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback that's ever played the game. He's better than sliced bread. Uh... Lamar Jackson is the greatest quarterback that's ever played the game. There's never been a quarterback like him. Justin Herbert is the best quarterback that's ever played the NFL. There's no quarterback that's played like this through two seasons. Aaron Rodgers is back. Dak Prescott is awesome. The world is rosy sunshine. Give me a break. The world is not rosy sunshine, and we don't care what you think. Well, someone cares because somebody's watching it. But, I mean... It really gets frustrating and tough to watch, listen to, watch, listen to, whatever, in the mornings. Let's move on to, we've done the hideous, so this isn't much better. But move on on to LSU. Oh, my goodness. Um, I made a bold prediction this, after, or this afternoon on the Odds and Ends show, on Monday afternoon, if you're listening to this on Tuesday. You can go back and watch it. With Devin Jackson. Zach was well, sick, so I was hosting the show today. But the Tigers. Does anyone see LSU winning another SEC game this year? I don't. I mean, who are they going to beat? The 10-point dogs to Florida. They're going to be a, a fairly decent-sized underdog in every SEC game they play the rest of the way. And I got news for you. When they play Ole Miss... And Lane Kiffin, what's he going to do to this team? They cannot play defense. They can't stop anything over the middle. They're without Butte probably now for the rest of the season. Allie Gay, who knows when he's coming back. Derek Stingley's already gone. This is not, this is a bad defense. So you can read the tea leaves, do whatever you want. But Ole Miss is going to, I'm going to say it right now. I, I'd be shocked if they don't put up well over 45 points and probably more like 60. Lane Kiffin's going to want to hang a 60-burger on a team like LSU if he gets a chance. Arkansas's defense is pretty decent. 
and they hung 52 on them. What are they going to do to LSU? Because he might, who knows what that dude's going to do. I mean, him and his popcorn, he might want to really rub it in and try to score 70. And he might be able to. And their defense isn't any good, so LSU will probably score in the 30s against them. But LSU can't run the football. It is, this is as bad an LSU football team as I've seen since probably the Jerry DiNardo era. And that's saying something. I mean, we're going back a quarter of a century now. I mean, that's how bad this team is. And I don't see it getting any better. Let's, let's talk to Chris Blair, voice of the LSU Tigers, and what a roller coaster he's been on. Took over for Jim Hawthorne in 2016. He came in right as Les Miles was going out, and a few years later, he had the best seat in the house. Tigers won their fourth national championship in football, and really, I said it then, and I still think it now, that might have been the best ever college football team, at least in my lifetime. I mean, it's, you can't, it's hard to compare things to before you were born. You can see highlights and clips on YouTube, but when you watch a season, a full season, then you, have, you, you could be a better judge. It's like it's like 20-something saying that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. How do you know? You saw clips on YouTube? You don't know. Now, if you're 50, 45 or 50, and you had that opinion, and you, you watch Michael Jordan throughout his prime, and you still think LeBron's better, well, I think you're a moron, but hey, at least you have a valid opinion because you saw. I mean, you, you can't judge. So judging, comparing teams... For me, like judging anything before, I mean, before, let's say I was, before I watched college football, like every Saturday on a regular basis, probably 18, so that before the mid 80s. So from the mid 80s on, I think that LSU National Championship team was the best that I ever saw, a season wise. And Chris Blair has been through it all. I mean, not just football, I mean, really basketball, the whole Wade ordeal. I mean, what's up with basketball? Will Wade. Baseball. Going through a transition here. Paul Maneri's out. He retired. So let's talk to Chris Blair. We're going to talk mostly football, but I do want to dabble on some of the other things going on. Chris Blair, voice of the LSU Tigers. Joining the Datitude podcast is Chris Blair. Voice of the LSU Tigers, Chris, we really appreciate you for, for joining, and uh, thanks for taking time out of, I know, is a very busy schedule. No, thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. I uh, love to talk. Uh, as you know, that's what I do for a living. So anytime somebody asks me to do that, I'm, I'm ready to go. I got to tell you, as an LSU alum and an LSU fan since as long as I can remember, you know, growing up in the 70s and listening to John Ferguson and then obviously to Jim Hawthorne for 30 years or so. When you were brought in, I have to say, who was Chris Blair? And then after just a, a few games, I'm like, wow, this guy's really good. And I, I tell you, you have been a, a joy to listen to for the last you know, five or so years. And uh, LSU fans, I know, really appreciate what you do. Well, Jim, that's awfully nice to say. I mean, it's uh, it's a thrill of a lifetime. I've said that a number of times. Uh, having grown up in the in the broadcast business, it was what my family did, and uh, you know, at a pretty early age, uh, my heroes, vis-a-vis through my dad, were actually you know, it happened to be college broadcasters. There was a few pro 
sportscasters that that we were fond of or he was fond of growing up. Joe Nuxall and, and Marty Brenneman, the, the Cincinnati Reds, having yeah. grown up in, in eastern Kentucky. So we we uh, listened to the Reds. But it was Kaywood Ledford at the University of Kentucky. It was John Ward at the University of Tennessee. It was Woody Durham at North Carolina. So, you know, I think because I was exposed to the business, not that I knew the business, but the reverence that my father had for these gentlemen and the fact that I love sports and played sports until I hit my athletic ceiling earlier than most, uh, you know, I decided, hey, that's a, that's a pretty good way to make a living. You're around sports, you're around coaches and players. You get to go to these great venues. And um, so, you know, to, to be here at LSU, to have the opportunity to have even – uh, applied for the LSU job would have been hard for young Chris Blair growing up in Hyman, Kentucky, population 700 uh, to even imagine. So as I said, it's a thrill of a lifetime to get to do it. Um, you know, Tiger fans have been awfully good to me. Um, I got some advice years ago from a broadcaster that I respected and had to had the opportunity to work with that basically you're going to have, you know, a certain percentage of the audience that likes what you do. There's going to be a certain percentage of the audience that doesn't like what you do, no matter what you do. And your best part, if you're trying to bring somebody over, just get those people in the middle that are sitting on the fence that can commiserate with the people who don't like you and can sometimes agree with the people who do. He said, if you do that, you will have more than a successful career. So I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's quite all right. Um, and again, just getting the opportunity to, to do what I do and do what I love is, uh, is, is amazing and something I'm very happy and, and very blessed and, and to be honest with you, very humbled by. I do uh, play-by-play as well for, uh, for high school games uh, on Friday nights and other sports too as well. So uh, it is not an easy thing to do. Um, and to, to jump from sport to sport, I know that, it, you know, it, before football is even over, basketball's starting too. And it, you know, you, you have no time off really, except for the summer. And uh, it, it, how tough is it to juggle going from sport to sport, football, basketball, and then bas- basketball's not over and you're in baseball starting and all that's going on? Well, I, I make a joke and I have for years that my biggest challenge when that, uh, when that overlap occurs in, in November typically, that I avoid saying basketball field and football court. <laughs> and if I can keep those two straight, I'm normally okay uh, from that point on. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's, it, it, I was talking to Tom Leach, who was one of my heroes. He's the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats. He was on my podcast last week. And everybody would assume that Tom Leach prefers to call basketball over any other sport because it's the University of Kentucky. In the same way that I think a lot of people assume my favorite sport would be basketball because I grew up in Kentucky. But Tom had a great point we only get to do what we do so many times a year. And for Tom, he does football and men's basketball, and then someone else handles baseball. For me, I get the privilege of doing all three. But once baseball season ends, I don't get to do what I do for a month and a half, two months. So you're looking so forward to getting to do what you do that it's like asking which is your favorite child. You love them all, and they're all different. But when you've been away from them, you love all of them. So yeah. football happens to be the first that comes up on the calendar and, and nothing gets me more excited than, than getting ready for LSU football every late August, early September. 
that June through August stretch is really weird and and really tough, isn't it? It is tough because again at LSU, and this is not a problem. This is a great thing to have. You know, it never stops here. I mean, you talk football, uh, you know, year round. So even though they're not playing, and even though they haven't started all camp, there's still everybody breaking down what the team's going to be like, who's the the star is going to be, who's wearing number eighteen, who's going to wear number seven, and so it just seems like in in mid June, end of June early July that football is so far away. Um, but, but I have learned in the last couple of years, I think as we all do, as we get older, that, that time flies. And uh, just when you think football is forever from now, you suddenly look up and uh, we've got the first Coach O show. Uh, once that hits, man, the wheels start moving and we're headed downhill quick yeah. to kick off. So um, it does seem like long days during the summer, but, uh, each year that passes, it seems like we're right back in the saddle pretty quickly. Chris Blair, voice of the LSU Tigers here on the Datitude podcast, along with me, Jim Derry. And uh, Chris, uh, I know you came from Georgia Southern. I, I heard a little bit about you before you came over because I have family that live in Statesboro. And uh, I have uh, some big Georgia Southern fans that, that are always gotta. All I hear is gotta, gotta, gotta. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you know Wes Bonner and Sheila Bonner, but uh, they, they, I do. Wes, I know Wes very well. Wes is, uh, you know, we've we've he come he used to come down every every Mardi Gras, and we we rode together on a float for for quite a few years. Sheila is my cousin, so uh, I knew a little bit about the, the whole Gata thing in, in in Georgia Southern before you got here. So, well, it's interesting you say that because when LSU played Georgia Southern to start that magical 2019. Uh, a lot of the people I worked with, obviously, and then people I got to know, having spent 10 seasons there, uh, you know, obviously were coming to Baton Rouge. And uh, Wes was one of them. I happened to give he and probably 10 or 15 others that I knew a, a stadium tour on Friday afternoon. And uh, I looked at Wes and I said, Wes, I, I have now been uh, the radio voice for LSU for four seasons. And yet when I look at Mardi Gras picture, pictures, I see you. <laughs> you know, on the front of these massive New Orleans Mardi Gras parades, how do you do that? Like, I, nobody even asked me to go to a parade, and here you are on top of one of the biggest floats. But uh, West is a hell of a basketball player. Yes, he is. A hell of a shooter, and uh, really all-around great guy, and lives a wonderful life. I don't know who lives a better life, he or John Brady, but both of them, I think, are good role models if we ever grow up, if we get to live like they do. No question. He goes to, I don't know what his streak is now of going to every final four for who knows, but uh, that's one of his deals. And look, um, you, you know, this, you have been on quite the roller coaster since you have been here, obviously seen all kinds of great things, not so great things. Um, you know, LSU football alone, you came in right around the time that, that Les Miles was walking out the door and, Coach O comes in, and I've known Coach O for a long time. I covered his sons at Mandeville High. Um, and this roller coaster with Coach O goes the same way. How, how, how has that been for him? Because I haven't talked to him in, in quite a few years now. But how do you? what kind of toll has that taken on him, do you think? Well, I think, number one, uh, you know, when you take the job, at LSU, regardless of who you are, whether you grew up in Louisiana or didn't grow up in Louisiana, 
anybody who is in the job of coaching football understands what the expectations are, what the levels are. Uh, I think they would readily admit, and I think most Tiger fans would readily admit, that the standards are stratospheric. Um, and that's for good reason. Uh, you know, I don't disagree with that. Um, so I think you kind of know that. That's part of the territory. And, you know, I don't get to know these coaches on a best friend basis. In fact, I think that's probably not the best way to go about it. Uh, coaches have a job to do. I have a job to do. Uh, Coach Les Miles was very gracious to me in the short time I worked with him. Coach Ocheron has been nothing but fantastic to me uh, since that, uh, what, week four of the 2016 season. In fact, got it to Mito and was excited to Mito uh, when he was still an assistant when I first got to town. So they were both great to me. And uh, I think you have to know that comes with the territory. Um, it's it's kind of like playing the stock market. There are certain stocks that are are uh, high reward with high risk. And uh, if you're going to coach and, and make your claim as a career in power five football coaching, basketball coaching, baseball coaching, for that matter. Uh, in fact, I would argue that any level where you are a coach, uh, we all have a scoreboard. Each coach has a scoreboard. They've got a wins and loss tally. And uh, I, I, I don't doubt that there's a lot of pressure. I don't doubt that there's some sleepless nights. And I don't doubt that there's untold hours of work trying to get better each and every day. But I think you understand that comes with the territory of, of the career you have chosen. Doesn't get any easier when that time comes to an end. Um, but I think he's handling it like most coaches I have known. Um, the only thing you can do is wake up the next day and try to get your team better. Try to look for something to make the team better. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, the coaches I've been around, lucky enough in my career, they're doing that even when things are going well. Because, again, they understand that it's what you've done for me lately. Uh, people ask me all the time what it's like to, to cover LSU football. And I say it's a little bit different uh, than maybe you think. It's not week to week. It's not season to season. Hell, it's not game to game. At LSU, it's play by play. Every play you're being judged and, and uh, the results of that play uh, are, are going to help form opinions by a rabid group of fans. But, you know, that's why players come to LSU. That's why coaches come to LSU. Heck, it's why play-by-play announcers want to come from, you know, Statesboro, Georgia to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, because it is the top of the top. And you, you have to understand there's, it's, it's high risk and high reward. Before we get to where we are now, I do want to ask you about, can, I want you to just kind of tell me a little bit about being a part of that 2019 season and just the amazement of it. I've said many times that I think that, and I know I'm biased, but in my lifetime, I think there was the greatest college football season that any team has ever stepped onto the field and put together. And the transformation of Joe Burrow from, from the beginning of 18 to, the, for, to January of 2020 is something that we may not see for a while. But um, just take me through that season and what it was like for you to be a part of it all. Uh, it was, uh, I like to tell people I was a very small part of it. It was nice to be along for the ride, obviously. Um, but there really was something about Joe Burrow. And, and, and that goes back to the summer of 18 when he put his feet on the ground here in Baton Rouge, there was just, and it, and it wasn't that he was overhyped. I mean, people forget that, you know, he had lost the job, didn't earn the job at Ohio state. Obviously he was a highly touted prospect coming out of high school. Um, 
But just being around him, listening to some of the coaches, listening to the people inside the building talk about how, you know, he was just a born leader. And he approached his preparation, not only in practice, but in the film room, in the conditioning room, in the treatment room, like a professional. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with his parents. Uh, Obviously, his father, you know, coached for so many years. But he seemed to be so much more mature than some hot riding quarterback coming out of uh, out of Ohio, and you started to see him as that 18 season went on. And again, it wasn't as if it was a storybook season. It ended on a high note, obviously, um, out in Arizona. But but it, you just just being around him, you know. They, I heard somebody last week talk about Tom Brady, and they said the thing that's magical about Tom Brady is that he forces everybody around him to be better. He forces coaches to be better, coordinators to be better, his linemen, his running backs, his receivers, his defense. And that was the sense I got with Joe Burrow. Now, move ahead going into the 19th season. People can believe this or not. Uh, You can ask Gordy Rush. Gordy was there with me. But but he and I both took in the three preseason scrimmages watching LSU in that, that August. And I remember leaving the stadium on two particular scrimmages saying, this is not your daddy's LSU. This isn't your granddaddy's LSU. This team is loaded all over the field. And, you know, as the season gone on, uh, you know, you get five wins, you get six wins. Obviously, the big win in Tuscaloosa. You, you just kind of figure out that everybody kept saying, okay, well, this week they got to play Alabama's defense. We'll see how good they are. Uh, and, and, you know, the results bared out, uh, we got to the, the playoffs and it was okay. Well, actually we got to the sec title game. Okay. Now they're going to face Georgia's defense. Right. All right. They made pretty quick work of that. Can they outscore Oklahoma? And suddenly in the last four to five games of that season, LSU's defense probably didn't get as much print or media time as the offense did. Uh, but they absolutely destroyed Oklahoma. And then, of course, nobody really, a lot of people outside of Louisiana didn't give them a really good shot uh, to manhandle Clemson the way they did. And, you know, that championship game to me kind of summed up why that team was special because it would be easy uh, if, if it were true that they were just simply better than the teams they played on the schedule and they beat everybody they played. But now they're playing Clemson, a team that has experience in the playoffs. They have experience at that coaching staff. They've got a quarterback that uh, following Joe Burrow is going to be a first-round draft pick. And they got down early. And there were some early moments in that game. And I remember Doug Morrow, who does color with me on the broadcast. He's forgotten more football than I'll ever know. (laughs) During one of the timeouts in the first half, he said, we're about to figure this out. He said, Clemson has thrown everything in the kitchen sink to try to throw a wrench in the gears here for LSU. But once we figure this out, Katie bar the door. And as it turned out, he was exactly right because they had done everything they could possibly do. And yet they had a very, what a one touchdown lead at one point when everything had gone their way. And uh, to me, that summed up the, the 2019 season. And as I said, it was fun to be along for the ride. It was, it was great to be a part of that for all the people uh, here in Louisiana, certainly for LSU fans across the country and the globe for that matter. Uh, and to have it in there in new Orleans, in the Superdome, um, you know, that's, that's just one of those things. It, it really doesn't get any better than that. And regardless of what happens in 2021 or 
knock on wood, I'm able to do this for a long, long time. There's, there's, I don't think there's anything going to top that. I don't, I can't imagine how anything would top that. And then you had to jump right into basketball. So you didn't even get to enjoy it all that long. No, it was, it was rough. You know, my, my family went over on Sunday. We had a game on Saturday. So we did the basketball game here at the Maribich center. Uh, and then Sunday afternoon, my wife and two kids, we drove over to new Orleans, checked in at the team hotel and, Got to enjoy some of the festivities that night, some of the festivities that next day. Um, and then we didn't get, I didn't get out of the stadium until probably 2 a.m. on Tuesday. And uh, then we drove back to Baton Rouge. I went to the Baton Rouge airport around 6.30 and oh, flew to College Station. And uh, we had a basketball game Wednesday night. And uh, this will come as no surprise. It was not my best effort Wednesday night I'm in sure. Bryan College Station. <laughs> Even Coach Will Wade was giving me a hard time. He was like, man, we tried our best to make it an interesting game so Chris would stay awake. But, right. uh, so I didn't get to celebrate it. And then I think the unfortunate part, and I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way, is that I'm not sure LSU in general and fans in general got to celebrate how special that year was based on the pandemic hitting just a couple of months later. So, um, but they can't take away the fact that, that LSU, as you put it, and I agree with probably uh, the, 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 the best team in college football history. And if not the, it's certainly one of the, so uh, that's something they can't take away. Well, here we are now less than two years later and anything but now, and uh, you know, you hate to talk about, where we've come, but uh, LSU fans want to know, and they want to know what you think. And how has such a dramatic drop? Rarely do you see a team win a national championship and really fall as flat as the team did last year. There were a lot of hopes, I think, coming into this year, especially you know with with Derek Stingley coming back and 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 Allie Gay playing as well, and and Max Johnson having experience and. Kenyon Butte. Uh, I mean, there was really a lot of hope for this team, and it just hasn't happened. And what what is what is the explanation? What is the reason you think? Oh, you know, I don't know. I'd probably be making a lot more money if I had the the answer. If I could put it on there, there are a lot smarter people who are uh, who are analyzing that. It is tough, and I think it's tough for everybody. Um, you know, again, it goes back to our conversation a moment ago about the expectations. Um, it's not just expectations because you're coming off the 2019 season. Um, that's kind of the expectations every single year here at LSU. And, you know, when you don't meet that mark, uh, people, people aren't very happy. Um, and again, there's a lot of programs across the country I could point to Jim and say, well, they'd be pleased with, you know, six and six or seven and five, but LSU just ain't one of them. Uh, and you and I both know that and anybody listening knows that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think last year, and I said it probably well before we even knew we were going to have a season when they were in talks about, you know, which conferences would play and what type of games would we play? What would the schedule look like? I remember saying, as far as I'm concerned, the 2020 football season will have an asterisk beside it um, because of the unprecedented things that, that every team in the country had to deal with, not just LSU, of course. Um, but you know, you're trying to prepare for a, a talented opponent, whether it be at home or on the road, you're also testing daily to make sure which players are going to be available for you. You got players that decided for their own reasons to opt out due to health concerns you had, uh, for LSU in particular, you had, you know, a, a number of those guys decide to go early. And again, 
you can't blame them. Uh, I don't know if they could have increased their stock, so to speak, by coming back for 2020. So the 2020 season to me, I, I really, no matter what would have happened, I know it's easy for me to say now they finished five and five, but the truth of the matter is, had they won a bunch, it still was not the same type of football season. Tiger Stadium had 25,000 people in it. Vanderbilt had 1,500 people in it. I mean, it just wasn't college football. So you flip ahead to 2021, and yes, I think hope springs eternal uh, coming into this season because of the uh, the names and, and returning players that you just mentioned. Um, and it, and it just hasn't worked out thus far. Now there's seven weeks remaining. Um, I'm just a glass half full kind of guy. So you will never find me completely just throwing my hands up and saying, well, it's over. We've played six weeks and here are the results. So, um, it's all going to go downhill from here. Uh, I'll get up, uh, this Saturday for the early game against Florida uh, I'll do the same thing, hopefully, God willing, the week following that at Ole Miss. I'll do it the rest of the season, uh, thinking that, uh, you know, LSU's got a chance to go win because of the players who are committed to this program. So, you know, it's hard for me to say. I can't really say what the difference has been. I, I think, you know, the offensive line issues are a big part of it. If you want to look at X's and O's, um, I, I think they've had lack of continuity uh, during the fall camp. Most of those guys were out a couple of weeks or this guy was out a couple of weeks. Um, and unfortunately, that trend has continued the early part of the season. Um, you know, you were expecting Miles Brennan to be back as your quarterback, freak accident late summer, and, and a guy who's got that many snaps and learned directly under Joe Burrow how to be an LSU quarterback, he's not in there for you as well. So, uh, you know, I'm sure you can look at X's and O's and say this is why the team is not succeeding. Um, you know, last week at Kentucky, it was a big offensive line and the leading rusher in the SEC uh, and Christopher Rodriguez that, that put up 330 yards rushing. Um, you hate to see that, um, but I don't know that I was all that surprised. It was a matter of how that point of attack was go. And very early on, Kentucky controlled the line of scrimmage. And when you play a team that on paper has an advantage in size, and then yet they dominated the line. Uh, I think you, something crazy is going to happen uh, for you to be able to win that ball game. And uh, so there's some of the X's and O's, and there's some of the reasons that, uh, again, if I, if I had the answer, I, I would be willing to raise my hand and say, hey, I've got the answers. I don't. Um, I just know that things are, are not the way people want it, and I think everybody from top to bottom would agree. You're, you say you're a ha glass half full kind of guy. And uh, so I'm going to ask you, do you see, and it's hard to see right now because I'll, you know, it's been a pretty negative year. Do you see a light at the end of a football tunnel? Well, it depends on what that light is. Uh, you know, I think everybody defines that differently. Um, you know, sometimes it's got to be, you know, an X number of wins. It's got to be 10 wins. It's got to be a winning season. It's got to be a New Year's Six Bowl. I, I, you know, it just depends on what that what that is for you. Um, I tell people a lot that, you know, ask me during the week, and, and I don't mind them asking, you know, what about this? What's going to happen in this game? What, what do you think they're going to do with this guy? Are they going to play this guy or that guy? And that's not my job. And frankly, uh, this may come as a surprise. None of that really concerns me. Uh, my job, as it's defined and as I – practice it each week is I'm there to tell you what happens when they do it. I'm not there to tell you what they should do and who should be doing it. I'm just there to try to give the audience 
a reasonable picture of what's happening. So I don't get too much involved in prognosticating. Uh, it's interesting. I've got a ton of vices. Just ask my wife. Um, but one of them is has never been wagering of any kind. Uh, it's just not. It's just one of the vices I don't have. So I don't really get caught up in. Uh, this is who I think should be playing running back, or this is who I think should be doing this, because my only focus is, hey, coach, who are we going to play Saturday so I can put them on a board so that when they do something in the game, I can accurately tell the listener, here's who made the play. That's as far into the future as I look during the week. Chris Blair here on the Datitude podcast, and he's not a prognosticator. He's not a betting guy, so – we're going to end the show with three big questions, and I'm going to ask him three questions that someone who only prognosticates could answer. So let's see how diplomatically Uh-oh. let's see how diplomatically uh, Chris can ask these questions. Answer these questions. Um, oh, I did, uh, Jim. By the way, I didn't mean to hijack your show. I mean, no, know. it's okay. It's we're, it, it, this is actually isn't a, a betting show, although I like to go on about how poorly I've done uh, this week. Uh, <laughs> trying to make picks. So you're probably better off not uh, doing gambling or of any kind, especially when, you know, us gamblers have frustrating weeks as, as they are. But question number one, and answer this whatever way you see fit, um, but I have to ask you, is Coach Ed Ogeron, the LSU football coach, on opening day of 2022, do you think? I have absolutely no idea. And uh, as diplomatically as I can put it, the honest answer is just a few moments ago, I told you, I expect LSU to go out and fight this Saturday against Florida. And suddenly we're at 500 in the SEC. Uh, I will then again, expect LSU to go to Oxford and, and beat Ole Miss. And again, there are other people in this business who will tell you, well, that's not possible. You know, Florida's a 10 point favorite and Ole Miss is going to put up, you know, 70 points, whatever the case may be. I, I, I don't know that. And until the game is, I like to say at the end, this one's in the books. And until the game's in the books, I don't know. And I have been in sports long enough to know that just when you think something is definite, uh, it, it, it can give you the slip. And uh, so, again, that's how I approach my job. And that's really how I approach sports in general is uh, just when you think something is going to go this way, sometimes it doesn't. I, I couldn't agree more that that so many weird things happen, things you think are sure to happen, they don't. And before I ask your question number two, I mean, you look at last year, the Florida game, LSU goes in as a 22-and-a-half-point underdog, and then some kind of heavenly fog comes over the stadium, and they <laughs> win by a field goal. And I, there is no one that could have predicted that that was going to happen last year. Not just a field goal, but a record-setting field right. goal for LSU right. of 57 yards. And Florida's kicker, who got a pretty nice job in the NFL, had a chance in his own right at home and missed. So, yes, I think you just put an exclamation point on it. Uh, just expect the unexpected. That's why we love live sports. That's why when people say to me, Jim, you know, radio, you love radio, but boy, it's a dying breed. Everybody wants to stream and everybody wants to watch it on their phones and all this and all that. That's true. But there's still a place for live radio on sporting events because of that unexpected. And, um, you know, until they tell me to, to, to go home and find another job, uh, I'll keep believing in that because I, I just think that's what people love about live sports. It's, it's one of the few destination 
viewing slash listening that exists in our world today. I mean, my goodness, you know, when my son was growing up, he's nearly 17 now. He's, he could watch whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, That's you right. know, with DVDs. Uh, and that was about the time you could download, uh, you know, when you and I were younger, Wizard of Oz came on once a year. That's right. Like, you know, That's right. everybody, everybody canceled their plans. The family got dinner. Everybody got around the TV because this was the only time you were going to see Wizard of Oz. I mean, my daughter's seen it 1,700 times because <laughs> she can watch it whenever she wants. So, you know, it's still the only time where you don't know the outcome and you've either got to be near a television or a phone or a tablet or a laptop or a radio. And um, so expect the unexpected. Hence why the MASH finale is the highest rated show in television history. And there's almost zero chance that it will ever be beaten because there simply aren't nearly as many people who watch live television anymore. So it is what it is. Exactly. Alan Alda laughed when they were telling him what the American Idol numbers used to be, that it was incredible. And Alan Alda was like, yeah, okay, whatever. But by the way, whenever I heard that song come on, I went running out of the room. It it just didn't happen to be one of my cup of teas. I was, I was more of the incredible Hulk and chips uh, and Dallas. The Dallas theme song who shot JR. Oh, let's move on. Question number two. Um, It's it's hard to even ask this question. Do you think that that LSU will be in a bowl game this year? Wow, I may be I may be your most boring guest ever because uh, I'm going to refer you back to thirty it's seconds okay. ago. That's what the way no. I, I want you to ask it. Whatever answer, whatever. Yeah, way you say. I mean, I mean, I, I I just I'm just it's not in my nature to say the season is over. Um, you know, it, it it's just not. Um, you know, and some of that's from real life experience. Um, you know, there, there were times when I worked at Clemson that the Bowden bowl was going to be Papa Bowden spanking Tommy Bowden again. And then once that game was over, they got to get rid of Tommy Bowden seasons over, throw it all, throw it all away. And, uh, what do you know? The sun came out on a couple of those, those matchups. And then suddenly everybody's on, you know, uh, a mile high trip about how, you know, the, the direction of this program, I went through it a lot at Georgia Southern. Um, where, you know, the first game of the season, you go on the road and you take on like an LSU or a Clemson, whoever it may be. And, you know, you don't look that good. And wow, you know, I, this team, I, this, <laughs> if we couldn't do any better than that against, you know, the number one team in the country, then, right. you know, I'm not sure. Uh, and then suddenly, what do you know? Um, they reel off, you know, win six out of their last seven, whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, I think there's a possibility for a bowl game. Absolutely. Last question, I'll make it an easy one. Um, well, I think it actually probably won't be easy, but it, it won't be an objective question uh, or along those lines. What is the greatest moment of your career? And it doesn't have to be a, a, a moment where it was, you know, three hours of a game. It could be the course of a month or whatever. Over the course of your decades of broadcasting, what do you highlight the most? Oof, wow. You know, that's when you know you're getting old, Jim, was when you really have to sit and think back because, you know, there's been stages in my career. I've been lucky enough to, to again, be around some really, really good programs, really good coaches and really good players. And, you know, there's multiple stops along the way where you go, my goodness, that, I, that one right there, that was incredible. Um, so I'm going to sound a little uh, – uh, misleading when I say I told you earlier that winning that title game in New Orleans is it's going to be hard to beat that. 
but you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm of the belief again, that there are little moments in our lives that if you had to rank them, it would be very difficult because of where you were in that moment, what your life was like at that time. Um, you know, I, I, I can remember as a young producer on the Clemson sports network, being part of one of those, uh, Bowden bowls. And it was the first time Tommy Bowden beat Papa Bowden. And it was, I mean, you think to yourself, wow, I was a part of that. I was there. Um, you know, for me growing up in Kentucky, um, you know, going to Rupp Arena with my dad, who was a Kentucky graduate, watching Kentucky play basketball for all those years and all those players and coaches. And, you know, for LSU to go up there and get that win with Will Wade on that, that last second um, shot uh, or, you know, block shot and, and hold on to win up there with both of my parents in the building wearing purple and gold, both Kentucky graduates and cheering for LSU to beat their beloved Wildcats. Um, You know, again, you take that little moment in a vacuum and for yourself, the experience of that, it's, it's hard to rank that against anything else. Um, When Georgia Southern beat Florida uh, in the swamp, uh, during Will Muschamp's next to last season, Florida fans thought it was going to be his last, but it wasn't. He lasted one more year. Um, that's a team that went down there that, you know, had, I think from the opening week roster, Jim, don't, don't count me a hundred percent on this, but there were like 13 of the original 22 starters weren't on that team. They'd been injured. They didn't make it through the season. So we go down there to Florida. Florida also was heavily injured. But you're talking about a Southern Conference team versus a SEC team in Gainesville. And LSU, I mean, excuse me, Georgia Southern did not complete a pass. They attempted one with their triple option offense. They didn't complete it uh, and, you know, rushed all over the field, ran all over Florida and, and won that on an, on an incompletion with no time remaining, uh, 21, uh, 26, I should say. Um, they had a chance Florida did to win it and it came up empty. And again, that little moment in time with the guys that I worked with, uh, the people I worked with coach Jeff Munkin, who now coaches at, at army. Um, it, it's an incredible moment. And, um, you know, again, I put it up there with, with winning a national title, which I had never been a part of a title team, uh, with LSU 15 and Oh, the storylines, uh, it's, I don't, you know, depending on where I was, what I was doing at the time, all of those are incredible moments uh, for me. And, um, you know, and then lastly, I would tell you the first baseball game in the spring in February of 2016, sitting at Alec Box Stadium, starting a three-game series with Cincinnati, um, LSU having to pull it uh, from behind in, in dramatic fashion, uh, with a base hit RBI, just that whole experience in and of itself that I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm at the box. I can't believe that's LSU. The great LSU baseball team is out there playing and I'm actually a part of it. Um, you know, it's just hard for me to separate and say one was better than the other. They have all been incredibly emotional moments for me. Um, that, you know, I hope Tiger fans understand. I, I, I truly don't take for granted. I, I really cherish each and every one of those. And, you know, it's kind of back to my point about we're going to get up Saturday and take on Florida. It could be another incredible game like last year with the Fighting Tigers winning. 
And then if we, you and I talk next week, I may tell you that moment would be right there with it. Chris Blair, the voice of the LSU Tigers. We can't thank you enough for coming on the, the program and uh, thank you for your candor and, and insight that, that others just don't have. Chris, we hope to have you on again soon. Absolutely, Jim. I really did enjoy it. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to doing it again soon. Sounds good. Chris Blair, the voice of the LSU Tigers. We really thank him, as we said, uh, for coming on. It's uh, great to have someone who has a different perspective. Um, and I love the half glass half full kind of guy because Lord knows I, I am not always a, ha a glass half full. I'm not always a glass half empty kind of guy either. I'm I like to consider myself a realist, and sometimes I don't see what, uh, what either side thinks. And in this case, um, you know, I hope he's right. I hope there is some light at the end of the LSU tunnel, um, and things can change on a dime in anything. And uh, it's certainly possible. It's certainly possible that LSU comes out and, and plays well against Florida and, and wins the ball game. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. But it certainly can. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see, right? Look, this has been the longest podcast that we've had so far. I keep saying I'm going to shorten them, and they keep getting longer. But we've, we've had such great guests uh, that have said, you know, just been so candid and have really added to the, this show and the early onset of just trying to get this thing going. We couldn't do it without you guys, and um, it has been wonderful. And I want to keep going. Um, we don't know what the schedule is going to be like going forward. I know we're going to keep it a twice-a-week thing. Uh, right now, I want to keep doing it on Monday afternoons. And either Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning, I haven't quite decided yet how it's going to work. But And with that, I'm not even sure who, who our next guests are, are going to be for later in the week. We will have that out for you within the next day or so. But with that, we'll wrap us up for today. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Luke Johnson of The Advocate and the Times Picune, my colleague and friend, along with Chris Blair, who I'm not, whom I had never spoken to before today. So it was great to get with him for a little bit. And uh, I also would like to thank, as always, my wonderful brother-in-law, Phil Anselmo, for providing the voiceovers and his band down for the intro and outro music, along with my sister-in-law, Kate Richardson. We will see you later in the week. Peace and love, my friends. <laughs>